Well, what might you have said in this set of parting words to people that you had spent three very intense years with? In this case of our Lord, people who had been very close to you, but had also seen you crucified on a Roman cross and then raised to new life. Well, what Jesus said was, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, Jesus grounds those words, make disciples in the very authority of God himself, the creator of heaven and earth. Now, in some ways, that shouldn't have been all that surprising, at least to the disciples who would have known the Old Testament rather well. This has echoes of Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, where we read that the one who is to come was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now our Lord then delegates that authority to his people. Now presumably our Lord could have chosen some other way to tell the gospel, the way of salvation, after his ascension. He could have sent angels, and they did a reasonably good job of uh, announcing his birth in Bethlehem. Perhaps he could have, uh, you know, instantly introduced some higher-tech options without even people involved. But instead, he committed the task of discipling the nations to his people. And they go forth, we go forth, not in our own strength or authority, but in his. Jesus delegates real authority. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, Paul speaks of those called to share the gospel as being ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors speak with the authority of the one who sent them. They never say anything in their own right, or out of their own authority. They always represent someone else. You and I, and all who know the name of Jesus, and count ourselves as being among his people, go forth to speak the gospel with the very authority of our Lord, with the very authority of God himself. And it's because of that authority that Jesus could say, we have in Luke chapter 10. The one who hears you hears me. Now that's incredible authority. And let's not forget that the very people to whom Jesus were, was speaking, what we read in Matthew 28, were those who had run and fled and deserted him not very long before, in the night when he was betrayed, just before his crucifixion. The authority of the gospel does not depend on the elegance or the brilliance or the strength or anything else of the one who brings it. 
The authority resides in the message, in the one about whom the message is, namely, our Lord himself. Tremendous authority. And it's authority that's all-encompassing, not just some authority, but all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Authority over individual people, authority over nations, but surely over all areas of life, whether those be business or education or recreation or science or you name it, all areas of life reside under the authority of our Lord. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now based on that, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus sends his disciples to make disciples of the nations, not just of people like themselves. We flip over to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which surely fit into this same conversation with the disciples. We read Jesus saying, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and then to the very ends of the earth. Now Jesus spells out here in an Acts what's been hinted at elsewhere, namely the mission of God's people outside of that Old Testament covenant community of Israel. In Isaiah 49, we read, it is too small a thing for you, the one who is to come, to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. That part's important, but here's the rest. I will also make you a light for the nations that they may bring or be my salvation to the ends of the earth. All along, God's vision had been that the nations would hear about him, that the nations would hear about the way to come back to him out of sin and death and the terrors of hell. I will also make you a light for the nations, that they may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. We read in the book of Acts, in the letters of Paul, that the early church had to do some struggling with what that meant. We read about lots of quarrels about how the nations could be included in the people of God. There's a striking statement, I think, in the commentary by none other than John Calvin, who wrote this. And it is obvious how necessary it was that the apostles should be clearly told of the calling to the nations from the fact that even after receiving the commandment, it was with the greatest reluctance that they approached them for fear that they would pollute their doctrine. Now, your pastor knows a whale of a lot more about doctrine in church history than I do, so you can ask him what Calvin may have meant exactly by that final phrase. But that's quite a striking statement by the very theologian that our church tradition is so grounded in, it is obvious how necessary it was that the apostles should be clearly told of the calling to the nations 
from the fact that even after receiving the commandment, it was with the greatest reluctance that they approached them. Surely a key note of the health of any part of the body of Christ is the extent to which that part reaches out beyond itself to others near and far. You and I participate in the work of the gospel to the nations in so many ways through world missions and home missions and world relief and back to God and faith alive. And so this congregation, the work of the gospel in Japan, country that has been resistant to hearing the gospel, where people have been resistant to accepting the gospel for as long as people have been seeking to speak the name of Jesus there. And Jung and Misut Go, whose ministry also connects to China and uh, a bit farther, but is fundamentally in Japan. They are called to speak the gospel to that particular nation. And they do that out of their own persons of being Koreans from a country where the country in which they're living has done some really harsh things. They speak the gospel to people whose parents, ancestors, and so on have just turned deaf ears. People do respond in Japan. In fact, it's said that someone who does say, I believe in Jesus, you don't have to worry too much in the general evangelical world, word about backsliding and so on. No one comes forth in Japan to take hold of the name of Jesus and life in him unless the Holy Spirit is truly at work in their heart. But pray for the goes and others that they would be encouraged, that they would be faithful, that they would be creative in ways that Jung and Misuk are particularly gifted to find new ways to gain access to the nation of Japan, to get the attention of people who are there, and to speak the gospel in a way that folks can understand it. I don't want to take away from the presentation of uh, Mike and Victoria this Thursday night, but surely Africa, whatever images one may have of Africa, has to include lots of places, lots of nations, where people have grabbed hold of the gospel or the Holy Spirit has grabbed hold of them. And they are now joining with God's people in other places, including the Christian Reformed Church, in bringing the gospel to new places. Mike works very closely with the Christian Reformed Church in Nigeria that within the past 12 months has joined world missions, not just in Nigeria or Niger, where we've been working together for many years and Mike's deeply involved in that, but also in Sierra Leone. Everybody said they got the banner. Did you read the story in the banner? Anybody? We put the story out, will they read? I wouldn't remember either, probably. It's, it's my role to remind you. But this is great news. This is within the last 12 months. I think it was uh, a year ago, this coming April, that we were joined not just in the political nation of Nigeria by one of our partners there, but by their call of a missionary in a household and with their giving, because they're paying 100% of the financial cost of this, to send a missionary household to another nation state, namely 
in Sierra Leone. And, you know, time would fail me to speak with you about the delights, the blessing, the privilege it is to see different parts of the body of Christ now in the 21st century joining together, certainly in bringing the gospel nearby, but in more and more cases bringing the gospel to new people in new places. Celebrate that in your prayers today. And I've got a whole list here, but uh, time is moving. You and I are called to speak, to tell, and to show the gospel nearby. We're also called to show and tell it. At least some of us are called to do that in places and among people far away. Jesus says, make disciples, not just the people like yourselves, but of the nations. You do that on the foundation of my authority, and you do that in two areas. The Greek word that's translated disciple means follower and learner. And Jesus leaves us with two means of making disciples, baptizing and teaching. When you and I are baptized, we are discipled. We receive God's seal of ownership, identifying us as followers of Christ. Baptizing, marking, identifying me, you, others, as those who follow Christ. Now, that's not a visible mark. That's a mark that we have to make visible to others by the ways in which we live and that we have to explain to others in our telling of the gospel. The part or a key piece of being a disciple is to be a follower of Jesus. And we get marked in baptism as being among those followers. It's getting to be a few years ago, but I had the privilege one time of baptizing 38 people in uh, the Christian Reformed Church, somebody said, wow. Actually, in Sierra Leone, they had several hundred, so my story kind of shrunk in drama when they heard that. We praise God for both. I mean, I almost was ready to become a Baptist. You saw folk being uh, immersed in the river and so on. We were the sprinkling sort there, and I just about ran out of water. But 38 people, one Christmas day, that was a great privilege. I, I will never forget that. I count that as... It's just a delight that God gave to me in ministry. Sometimes it's just the one. In Japan, the baptisms tend to be just the one. But whether it's one or many, whoever is baptized is marked as being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you make disciples? You mark them as mine, Jesus said. You mark them as my followers. And then teach them to obey or to guard or to hang on to, to obey all that I taught. And Jesus focuses here not just on teaching for the sake of teaching or learning for the sake of learning, but teaching for obedience that his followers really learn. 
learn not simply to repeat short term on a test, but rather learn to put into practice in their daily life. Jesus himself had spent three years with these people to whom he first, to whom he spoke the words that we read. Jesus deliberately taught much larger groups. Jesus lived a consistent life before all who saw him. Now you and I do not speak, surely, with the uh, great sweep of understanding of the Old Testament with which our Lord did. You and I, and if you don't believe this, ask any child who is here. You and I who are adults demonstrate every day the gap between what we know our Lord wants and the way we actually live. But part of being a follower of Jesus is not only to be able to recite what our Lord wants, but to recognize when we fail and then to claim the promises of God that he is faithful and just. If we confess our sins, he will forgive us. Disciples are never perfect. We are never complete, at least not until our Lord returns. Part of the calling of being a follower of Jesus is to tell others not about our goodness, but of the one who is good. The one who came to live, to suffer, to die, who was raised again for our salvation. And to tell people that indeed we are, like them, sinners in need of God's grace, in need of daily discipling. This teaching to obey, this learning to obey, may have a very dateable beginning in someone's life, but the only end is when we go to be with our Lord. And you saw in all sorts of ways in that video that the ministries that you're connected with through World Missions are very much driven to the training and development of leaders among God's people, that they will be discipled, disciplers of other disciples, including now a very strong effort in Christian schools. Now, the one that we showed was in the Dominican Republic, because we have a long history there and a particular program. But if you really want to get me going later, just ask about the incredible explosion of Christian schools throughout Central and Southern Africa. Those are a way that God's people are shaped, that they learn to obey him in particular areas of life. Make disciples based on my authority. Mark them as mine, as those who follow me and then teach them to obey, help them to learn, not just a little, but everything I have commanded you. These teachings ought to push us out into life. We may not know everything that we would like to know about God, what God wants, but we surely know this. God wants us to make disciples. He sends us into the world. God wants us to have confidence that Jesus will always be with us. That's true for parents who pray that God will call one of their children to himself despite their human best efforts in doing so. 
That's true for those of you who pray for the work of the gospel in Japan. That's true for those of us who rejoice that God has raised up lots of Christian people in the nation of Nigeria that now join us in ministry in Sierra Leone. We are to be confident in the work of the gospel, not that we will see success as the world may define it and in the short term, but we have confidence that Jesus will always be with us. And this discipling is not something that we can do alone. My wife, who's sitting over here, she ended up in the middle of the pew, which is why I sat here. But anyway, my wife, Norma, is back there. We were called to live for a few years on Negros Island in the Philippines, and God used us to do some ministry there. But even our little tiny piece in the work of the gospel couldn't have happened just with us. That took others. It took people to send us, people to pray for us, and people to support us financially. God calls each of us to participate in his work in different ways, with different gifts, and at different times. This discipling is not something that we can do alone. It's rather the task of ministry to which God calls us to do together, to find our place within his people, within his body, within the fellowship of his spirit. So what's your place? I've laid out. You'll hear more of this mission emphasis week. You'll hear more about your place as a congregation in the wider mission of God, bringing the gospel to the nations near and far. What's your individual place? For whom do you pray? Maybe individual people that you know for. But a great way to keep our focus on the gospel is to pray consistently for a group of people or a nation far away and to read about them, to read their history, to read the news with eyes focused particularly on one or more groups of people. It's a very simple, easy thing that anyone can do anywhere. Listen, attend, and then pray. And some of us are called to go. You saw a vast array of ways from school teachers to field evangelists to people involved in training ministries and so on. Some of you are engaged in business, helping God's people in business around the world understand what it means to be a disciple who is called to create jobs. I did take a little economics, so to create wealth. In other words, to, to do the hard work of turning the work of this world into jobs in meaningful ways that the rest of us can eat and have clothes and live and so on. If that's your gift, there are all sorts of ways that you can be engaged with God's business people around the world to share with them your challenges, to learn from them their challenges in life, and to maybe share some of the ways that God has discipled you in your particular calling. In some ways, what Jesus said is entirely unremarkable. Go and make disciples of all nations is rooted in the whole Old Testament. For our God is not a God just of one part of the earth or just of one people. He's God of the whole. 
Jesus sends his people forth, not just with a little bit of authority over a particular area, but with all authority in heaven and on earth. He calls us wherever we are to make people like us followers of him. And we do that surely in baptism, marking people as followers of Jesus. And then that unending process of helping one another learn to obey all that Jesus taught. We do that in the strong, absolute confidence that we work not in our own strength, but in the strength of the one to whom all authority was given, who is really with us always, even to the end of the age.